The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony. Building resilience. Talking trauma. Radio Tony. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Radio Tony. On W4WN, a platform for the unheard. Good morning, Australia. Good evening, America. You're listening to Tony Lontis live on Radio Tony. And before we get on to talking about our awesome guest today, I just want to know how you're going in the US of A. In Australia, we're seeing horrible scenes of looting and rioting and protest, and I'm just concerned as to how you're all doing. We have had a small amount of protest here in Australia, and I absolutely believe that there is inequality that exists across the world in terms of our beautiful uh, black humanity and I believe that the essence of what they're protesting about is incredibly important to highlight and to align with. However, rioting and violence is never the way to do that and peaceful protest will have a greater, more positive effect in the long term. So as we see these images of what's happening in America unfold on our Australian uh, TV screens, it's everywhere in the media. And I just wanted to know that I'm thinking of you all out there and hoping that you're remaining safe across the country. And so Radio Tony this month, we are going to be talking to lots of amazing authors, spotlighting what they do. And the first of this series is an amazing human being called Wade Franson. Wade's background is very unique and it's detailed in his first book, People of the Sign. The book ends in 1995 with his resignation from the Worldwide Church of God. But Wade's life was really just beginning. His first inclination was to pursue teaching and he spent 18 months in fourth and fifth grade classrooms whilst pursuing his credentials. And as much as Wade loved working with children, he came to realise that to support his family in the way that he hoped, he would be forced to pursue administrative roles that held no appeal to him. 
So he established a successful business, which became a springboard into the corporate world, where he held significant roles in noteworthy companies whilst pursuing his MBA. Along the way, he continued to struggle with the integration of his prior beliefs, his desire to practice true religion uh, as defined by helping those in need, and his desire for material success. This struggle, which is common to all of us in many ways, uh, is documented in his sequel book, People of the Sign, titled Hardness of the Heart. Wade leveraged the fruits of his experience as a successful corporate executive to build and manage a small real estate investment portfolio and establish the internet startup GoHuman.com. More recently, he established a publishing company of note, which now features his work as an artist. These experiences, including a brief but powerful mystical insight, arrived during a return trip to India to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award as a keynote speaker for a series of conferences in Chennai. Inaugurated by the governor of Tamil Nadu, enabled Wade to finally write the third and final volume in his trilogy. The answers to the questions raised in the first two volumes brought to a thrilling and mind-expanding and satisfying conclusion in his final book of the trilogy called The Rod of Iron. Wade now lives in Madison with his wife and children, who are most important to him. Uh, he successfully resisted attempts to force him to add a dog to the family, but finally his daughter convinced him to add cats called licorice and coconut. What fabulous names for cats. And we already have Wade on the line. And before I introduce him and go to our first break, I just wanted to let you know that this story today is an incredible one of how a former worldwide Church of God minister came to be where he is is now. He's got a really turbulent and dysfunctional childhood that coupled with the worldwide church of God, um, often considered to be a cult by many. Uh, it's an interesting story of seeing how his personal story unfolded. Um, we'll talk about his alcoholic mother, the emotionally absent father of Wade's childhood, including a kidnapping which left him stranded in Sweden, a stint living in a tent during winter in Alaska, a near-fatal car crash and survival, which he considered a mir miracle. Um, he's very much into music and we will be talking extensively with Wade this morning about his life, his love, his involvement with the church and where he is now with his publishing business. Before we do that, we're going to jump onto a quick break and when we come back, I'll introduce you to Wade Franson live. Over to you, Rebel. Radio Tony, bringing social consciousness this time every Thursday evening. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia, on W4WN.
Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl, discovering a woman of strength and beauty is the new book from Australian author Tony Lontis. Available in paper, ebook and audio formats, Resilience is a true life story of Tony experiencing and surviving trauma, abuse, mental health issues and the ultimate betrayal of someone she fell in love with. Available for download now through all good online retailers and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony, difficult conversations and bringing hope to listeners. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia on W4WN. Listeners, we were just talking to Wade who lives in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, um, about some of the rioting and stuff that we're seeing um, across our TV screens in Australia from America. So, Wade, please continue. You're talking about what's happening directly in your town. Right. So Madison has been a focal point over the last decade since, or 12 years since I've lived here of, of the political stress and the back and forth tug of war between political viewpoints in the United States. Yeah. Um, and um, I was just saying that, you know, in some ways it seems like no progress has been made since the 60s, where of course we had, you know, large scale riots in the U.S. And, yeah. Uh, but in other ways, much progress has been made. And, you know, we do have faith and hope that that people can come to dialogue. Yes. Um, as I heard you mention in the introduction about, you know, not not supporting the violence yeah. while very much supporting the cause and the yes. reason for the anger. Yeah. And I think the uh, the brother of the, the victim in Minnesota has spoken out repeatedly saying, yes. friends, folks, violence is not the way. Not Let's the not do it this way. Yeah. Let's do it another way. Uh, but it has to be done. Change must come. We cannot have a continued set of racially biased killings taking place by police officers. Even yes. one is too many. And we're having way too many of them. There's definitely a pattern. There's definitely a need for uh, serious attention to this. And yeah. I, I think, you know, for the first time, just today, it was announced, uh, I heard a few hours ago that they've They've increased the charge to second-degree murder, and they have arrested the other three policemen in the situation. So, uh, you know, upon further review of the videos and getting more evidence, they're definitely taking the right steps for that particular situation. And hopefully those who have drawn attention to this globally will take some satisfaction that some incremental progress is being made and will therefore, you know, continue to push and hope that more progress will be made on this issue. Yeah. So Wade, from your perspective, I'm 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 always interested in in from from my external perspective in Australia, it looks like the beautiful black people of America are treated differently. And interestingly, there was a, a black leader on the TV this morning saying that he didn't believe that there were racial bias across America. It seems really evident to me looking in from the outside. Is that a, a warranted perspective, Wade? It, there is definitely in it inequality and um, racial tension across America because these beautiful people are treated so differently. Yes, absolutely. R racism and yeah. racial tension continues yeah. to be one of the biggest challenges in American society, if okay. not the biggest. Yeah. But it but it has morphed and it's intractable um, because there, you know, 
you you have to look at the entire problem and you have to recognize yeah. that um, coming from extreme disadvantage yeah. and embedded poverty and cultural resistance to assimilation in the yeah. way that certain other ethnic groups and even races have been more happy to assimilate into America because they feel a sense of belonging, that yes. those emotions, they run so deep and the racial tensions are there. But yeah. it's so difficult. I myself, as an, an older white gentleman, yeah. I do bristle and resist the, the constant refrain of white privilege because to get back to my story for a moment yes um you know i come from extreme dysfunction yeah and I, yes i have had some advantages but i've also had many disadvantages and ultimately yes. what can never be forgotten in this whole discussion is the area of personal responsibility and yeah. the fact that in america even though it's incredibly difficult, and I don't mean to minimize the extreme racism that does pervade society still, in America, it is a country in which you can ultimately succeed despite yeah. insurmountable challenges. Yeah. And that, yeah. that is the tension here because you can yeah. never you can never blame any individual for not having succeeded, but you must inspire every individual that he has exactly. the ability to, to succeed. Yes. And it's only when that hope is completely destroyed and the person yeah. believes that he cannot. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the racism and that that's doesn't actually exist. no different based on the color of your skin, because right. that one thing for example, coming from a hugely dysfunctional family, that's something that's shared across everyone and can be everyone's story. It's about how you change your thoughts and your reality to have a better life, which leads me into your story, Wade, which is incredibly challenging. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about your childhood and some of the things that happened to you? And then we'll morph into your experience with the Worldwide Church of God. Sure. So um, I actually had a relatively happy childhood in the first couple of years. I yes. had um, an immigrant father who came to the to Canada actually from Sweden yes. Yes. and I was born in Canada uh -huh. and I lived my first two years there and I you know from what I can recall which is nothing they were very good years <laughs> yeah um, Canada's a beautiful place yeah I was born in Vancouver and my father's uh -huh. dream was always to to emigrate to the as they say in Sweden Stura Landet i Westen the uh -huh. big country out west yes. right the land of freedom and opportunity yeah. Um, and he eventually was able to, taking his uh, Canadian wife, who was a first-generation Canadian, my grandfather was English, yeah. um, to the United States. And then he began pursuing his material dreams, yeah. but he pursued them too vigorously. He had a very wow. young bride. He didn't really yes. know how to manage a relationship. He was out chasing work in Alaska while we uh -huh. were living down in Washington State, separated by 3,000 miles, yeah. and the marriage was falling apart, even as he was sending checks back home. Yeah. Uh, my mother had a drinking problem. They both drank heavily and smoked, yeah. um, as was common of, yeah. you know, people in their, in their cultural, you know, uh, circumstances. Yeah. But my mother, you know, basically became an alcoholic when he 
when he was not there. And um, she then began running around, as did he up in Alaska. And, you know, she divorced him and was given custody of the children, even though she was an alcoholic, because those things were not really necessarily researched then in that way. Yeah. You know, the, the, the woman was just given the kids. Yeah. Um, so now my father, part partly legitimately wanting to save his children from a situation he deemed completely unacceptable yeah. and partly, you know, resentment at her having been given custody and yeah. wanting maybe to get back at her. And the reason I bring that up is that the emotions involved for me <clears throat> for many, many years were to pretty much exclusively blame my father for this because of the feelings I had for my mom, who was a good a good mom initially, yes. but not yeah, yeah. a good not a good woman, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, and it yeah. took me many, many years to figure this out because she was just so broken herself, could not really give her children what they needed. Anyway, so uh, it was, I know it was the morning of the 5th of July because I was sitting in the living room um, unpacking the spent fireworks, imagining in my newly, newly, um, turned eight from eight to nine, newly nine-year-old brain, that I was going to create a, a bomb with these spent um, gunpowder <laughs> and go blow something up. And I was vigorously, you know, putting all this spent um, gunpowder into a bucket. Yes. Um, and in my book, I, I mentioned that um, explosives are not necessarily the, the way in which children's lives get blown up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because in walked my father, who told the babysitter that he was going to take us to the mall. He just didn't tell her that the mall was in Sweden. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So we then holed up in a hotel in Alaska while he was arranging the papers <laughs> and you know trying to get passports because he had one in particular that was expired. Yeah. Um, my two sisters and I, he was born in Sweden. Yes. My older sister and I in Canada, my younger sister in in, a, in the United States. Oh. And he worked with a person from Scandinavian Air Service to get us yeah. onto the plane and out of the country, right. knowing that um, like the most likely scenario was that he would be turned around at Arlanda Airport in Stockholm when the yeah. passport wasn't in order and sent back to the U.S. on the next plane where the FBI would be waiting for him. Uh -huh. But as the clock was ticking up in Alaska and the, the circle was beginning to the noose was beginning to draw around his neck. He had to make a run for it. And wow. he succeeded in getting us into the country. And oh. in Sweden, as a Swedish citizen, the courts awarded him custody oh. as this was being sorted out. And uh, he went back to Alaska to work to pay for what became an international court battle that two and a half years later was finally settled at the Supreme Court of Sweden. Wow. Wow. So when he was in La in Alaska and you guys were in Sweden, who was looking after you? So he split us up with, he came from a large family, seven yes. children that had survived into adulthood uh, out of nine. And yeah. um, they were, you know, good Northern Europeans that were willing yes. to buckle down and do whatever it took to maintain some sense of normalcy. Yeah. Um we were split up with three different sets of aunts and uncles. So suddenly oh. I was in a country with a language I didn't speak and didn't people I didn't know. Um, and I was kind of an unwanted third leg in the family oh. where the kids didn't appreciate suddenly having this American thrust into their midst who was getting all this attention. And, oh. um, and you know, none of my relatives 
were particularly emotionally uh, mature or yes. how can I say it? Uh, yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. That and so, of- you know, looking back years later, it's like they didn't even try to have the kids like get together or talk to each other on the phone. Probably phone calling was expensive, whatever. We're completely isolated. And, you know, there was probably a practical side. Well, they need to learn Swedish. And we did, uh-huh. you know, but um things happen to you that you're not aware of as a child yeah, because you are victimized yeah. and your world is so shattered. And yes. wh- I'll just get into religion briefly. I do believe yeah. in, 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 in the divine, yes. which manifests itself in various ways. And I do believe that, you know, that, that, that the typical husband and wife family provides children with an ideal situation for them to grow up yeah. in. Uh-huh. Um, and when that is shattered, they are untethered, floating through the universe, looking yes. for something that makes sense. Yeah. And that's where I was. You know, things yep. didn't make sense. Why me? Yep. How come I don't have what other kids have? And I, yep. you know. Something's wrong um, with me. At that age, right. it's the what's wrong with me. I must be bad, sort of. And I caused this. Somehow yes. you think you caused it. Yes. And you grow up thinking that you are the cause of this dysfunction. Whereas in fact you're just you're just in the dysfunction, and then it takes you into your adult years before you start to think about some of those things. And uh, part of my healing journey, and I know it's a little similar to yours, was accepting that there's that level of dysfunction, and you couldn't have done anything about that as a child. So it's partly accepting that that was what life was and moving forward and healing from some of those things that that uh, happened in your you know mid to late childhood and so, so just to just to carry forward a little bit so i yeah. had this fantasy that while i was in sweden that over in america there was a mother who loved yes. me and of course that Um, And when she eventually won at the Supreme Court level, she won the court case because she had remarried and convinced the judge that it would be much better for the kids to return to the United States and be in a family with two parents. So before that happened, six months after two full years, the court at whatever level it got up to ordered my father to come set up household with us so that we would live with our natural father. And to his credit, he did it. He moved back. Okay. He got he got work in this little town uh, south of Stockholm called Norshipping, and yeah. and we were there the three of the four of us, and he had a, like a house, uh, excuse me, a live-in kind of nanny that tended the house, and you know it was all very yeah. difficult and expensive for him, but yeah, he did yeah. it. Yeah. And and but then my mother, you know, at that time he had gotten involved in the Worldwide Church of God, which uh-huh. we'll we'll maybe get to in a minute. But one of their unusual beliefs was that married. You, you married once for life. And yes. if you were divorced, you were still married in God's eyes. So mm-hmm. he was not, it was not possible for him to remarry as long as his ex-wife was alive. So uh-huh. he had to legitimately tell the judge he had no plans of remarrying. Uh-huh. And here came along my mother who had in fact remarried. Uh-huh. Now, the fact that it was some guy she met in a bar and it was a <gasps> sham meant nothing because she was able to present, you know, an image and hold it together for a couple of days in Sweden that she needed to. But by the time we landed on the tarmac in Canada, and this was back in the days where you walk down the steps yes. from the tarmac. Yeah. By the time we landed, she was so drunk, she could not walk down 
the steps unaided and she was belligerent yelling at all the cheering crowds who were there to celebrate the mother bear who had won back her bear cubs. And it wasn't long after that that we were on the front page of the newspaper as this happy family and this beautiful story about the mom who had fought this battle. And if you looked into our eyes, you could see us screaming for help because it was instant hell that when we landed. And uh, we were taken out of a situation that was actually quite stable and nice. And the fantasy of this mother who loved us and would take care of us was shattered you know, on the steps of that plane down to the tarmac. Yeah, goodness gracious me. So how old were you by that stage, Wayne? So I was, um, I'm trying to remember, I either just turned 12 or perhaps was still 11. Yeah, yeah. um, So still mid-childhood, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, that fell apart. And, you know, uh, the next thing you know, I'm being called into the office at school and told I wouldn't go home today. And I'm put in an orphanage um, while they figured out what to do. Um, You know, eventually then going up to Alaska to live with my dad, who has now become a member in the Worldwide Church of God. And Uh that started an entirely new chapter. Um, You know, but 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 all that background is important as to why I later so fully embraced the teachings of the Worldwide Church of God um, as kind of a substitute family that gave sense and meaning and order and stability with its rules and its view of a God who was, you know, directly involved in your life um, and all of those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty uh, religion or church is um, if you grow up in that environment, it it becomes part of your everyday thought pattern and it becomes quite difficult to question what you're being told and what you surround yourself with and what you listen to on a daily basis. Um, I know that it took me a long time to uh, navigate my deeply held Christian views with what I actually felt and what actually worked and was what is actually real in my life. So you were pretty wrapped up in the church scene for a long time, but you still found your way into drugs and rock and roll, so to speak. Well, the, so that came first, right? So by yeah. the time I got to Alaska and live with my dad. I had also been betrayed by the authorities who lied to me during that orphanage period. And so, you know, I was just set up to be a classic rebel. Do not trust anybody, everybody, nobody cares. They will lie to your face and then they will abandon you at the drop of a hat when it's time for them to go get a cup of tea somewhere else. I mean, you're just treated like so much trash. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, the church gave emotional stability, and there were many wonderful people in that church. Yes. Um, my my yeah. own father, however, just didn't really have <laughs> the ability to provide any emotional support. Yeah. So in that circumstances, you know, in those circumstances, my father was trying to lay down the law and teach uh-huh. his children to be obedient. But we uh-huh. were so far beyond that. I mean... You, you. I believe we have uh, we have very much reared our two children with the belief that they need a guardian when they're young, and they need to be told what to do, and they need to learn to build their compliance muscle when they're young. Yes. 
being given limited choices and being taught that you do just follow the rules. But by the time you're seven and eight and nine, your parents are trusting you. You've learned the basics. They're giving you choices. They're giving you freedom. And by the time you're an adolescent, you're getting more freedom because you're responsible and you've you can, yes. your parents can trust in you and it works beautifully that way, yeah. but you cannot take children who are, who are used to absolute freedom and chaos yes. Yes. and start trying to force them to obey you at 12, yeah. 13, when nothing makes sense. Yeah. Then they believe you've totally screwed up their life already and that they're the cause of all your problems. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so it just yeah. didn't work. And then that's when the drugs came in and the escape and the, Um, But by the time I was 19, my life was such a mess. My mother died when I was 16 of a brain aneurysm. And I knew, you know, my last memory of her was my dad in a desperate effort to reconcile because of the teaching of the church. His only hope to ever be married was to reconcile with her. And she was up in Alaska, you know, drunk the whole time just to get a chance to see her kids. And it was just such an awful, disgusting mess that... um, you know, I, I just viewed myself on the highway to hell, if you will, and knowing yes, that yes. You know, I was going to have an early death and there was no no other way about that. And But then the church did give me the hope of changing my life and uh-huh. turning it around. So I left Alaska at 19 and managed to go to the church college in California, which getting uh-huh. out of Alaska, especially yes. after the tent incident, which we didn't even talk about, but 10 months living in a tent with no water, no electricity, having a stove blow up in my face. I mean, I have seen rock bottom, right? All this, the skin on my face all burned off, thankfully, just one or two layers deep. So there was no permanent scarring, but just, you can't imagine the pain. Um, of something My nursing like brain and, is directly going to that pain. Yes. And so, you know, when I got to the church college, suddenly there was this hope of having a normal, happy life. And there I fully embraced obedience to God. I fully embraced all the rules that he had laid down as I understood them. And they gave order to my life. I buckled down on my studies. And um, actually, it was an amazing, positive experience overall. Uh Now, many people who went through that same situation they will tell you that it ruined their life. And maybe Uh that's because they had a really, really good life and their life got worse. Yes. As a result of having gone to the college versus whatever other opportunities they had. But for me, it was salvation. And I threw myself wholeheartedly into the mission and work of the church. And I made a career out of it for a few Uh years where I was very successful because of my language abilities and yes. my fearlessness and having yes. overcome the tent. I was doing stuff behind the Iron Curtain that yeah. was not legal, opening up religious uh, festivals for the yes. members of our church to go behind the Iron Curtain in Poland and Czechoslovakia. We were yeah. working in Hungary yeah. and in, in Leningrad. I was there when Gorbachev was abducted. It was also yeah. very, very exciting to be in Europe doing all that um, until circumstances again conspired. Uh, The founder of the church died. The church was split down the middle. The Ah. the people of the sign ends with basically the church going through the same kind of divorce and being forced to choose sides between mom and dad again. Wait, what did the world, what did the church of God become? What were the two... 
Well, the two sides at that time, and there were a number of splinter groups splintering off, but the two yes. main sides were uh, an organization called the United Church of God, which kept uh -huh. the traditional teachings and exists to this day, although it has further splintered. Uh -huh. And the the main, the leadership of the church who had control of the assets yeah. and who could lay claim to being the anointed ones, yeah. right? That membership yeah. had to follow no matter what they taught. Yeah. Because we believed that God was active in his church yeah. and that you could not disobey the church. We didn't have an infallible pope, but it was a little bit something like that. You know, yes. you just try, the, the, we our leadership was not infallible, but even if they made a mistake, you had to follow them because God would back them up and he on his timetable yeah. would change it and turn it around. Yeah. So they pursued mainstream respectability. They became a traditional Christian denomination. They got rid of all the the teachings that some yeah. would consider heretical. Yes. Um, and um, they became uh, Grace Communion International. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go with either parent at that point in time. <laughs> I didn't want to have to make a choice between my friends on the left and my friends on the right. Yeah. And and plus, I didn't. I didn't. I, I, I embraced many of the changes, but not all of the changes. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> so and that's when I resigned from the church. Yes. Um, and the book ends there, sort of. You know, the first book. I'm, I'm actually really proud of the way it ends. It's. Um, yeah. I really feel that I was inspired in the in the writing of that final chapter to capture capture the feelings and emotions that we all felt, no matter where we went at that point yeah. in time. But this yeah. big global tribe went yeah. through this horrible gut wrenching experience together, and I feel yeah. like I gave a voice that people on all sides of the issue have given praise to my book and yeah. have given it excellent reviews yeah. in terms of helping them sort through their own feelings about it, no matter where they ended up. Yeah. Yeah. So what did it mean for you? What happened then, Wade? Well, what it meant for me was um, I wanted to continue to pursue true religion, yes. but I had to I had to separate my faith from my paycheck at that point in time. Yeah. Because I couldn't be forced to be untrue to myself. Yeah. And many of my friends who were in the ministry and others, they were. They I knew what they believed privately. Yes. And they could not completely go along with anything, but they had to because it was their paycheck. Paycheck, uh-huh. And they didn't have a choice, and they had to just provide for their families. And thankfully, I, I was actually married then um, yes. to another woman, but we did not have children. Uh -huh. So we had a little bit more freedom. We were not able to have children for some yeah. reason. Yeah. And, um but we, but we were also at odds now religiously. And so now my marriage was falling apart because... Uh. The, my ministry, the calling, everything that we were yeah. doing together, we were just drifting apart. Yeah. And the demon that haunted me or that pursued me was, yeah. I will never do what my dad did. Mm -hmm. I will never get divorced. Mm -hmm. But here I found myself unable to, to stop going. it, to mm -hmm. fix it. Yeah. And that's that leads into the title of the second book, The Hardness of the Heart, because for Bible yeah. students, Jesus was asked, well, hey, Moses allowed us to divorce. What yeah. do you say? And his answer is, Moses allowed it because of the hardness of your heart. Uh -huh. But from the beginning, it was not so. You know, not, not God's intent that there should be such a thing as divorce. So the book is an exploration of a failing marriage yeah. and a pursuit of the truth. Yeah. 
And the truth about oneself is always the hardest thing for God to reveal. Why was I incapable of holding a marriage together? This is where it gets into the really deep soul searching about you as a human being mm. and and so on. Yeah, yeah. So you found yourself split from the church, divorced or about to be divorced. What happened next? Well, so... In order to, you know, I made a sort of a compromise with my wife. I went yes. into, you know, that's when I started the business, left yes. the ministry. I was still a lay pastor. I was still giving uh-huh. sermons in in some of these groups um, because I was very respected in yes. that organization. I was respected as an honest broker, somebody who was true and who spoke the truth, even if it was not politically acceptable. Uh-huh. And so um, I was still involved in those groups, um, but I was now... Uh, having corporate success. I was getting well paid by a Deloitte Consulting, Deloitte and Touche. Yes, yes, yeah. And that enabled me to start making trips to India where uh-huh. I could try to get a homeless, a foundation going for homeless yeah. uh, children in this city of Chennai, which yeah. had um, 10 million people, 2 million of them homeless and 600,000 homeless children. Just this epic, gaping black hole of misery. And I I felt compelled to do something about it. So I was there Uh trying to build a foundation for homeless children, working with some people who were in the fellowship of the Worldwide Church of God, but also with others. And um, that was where I was pouring my energies, even as my marriage was falling apart. And ultimately, you know, that obviously didn't help me being Mother Teresa did not help my wife, you know feel yeah. that I was committed to her. Yeah. So and ultimately then, I, you know, the divorce happened anyway. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I continued to sort of try to figure out a path with, with the splintered remnants of the Worldwide Church of God. And ultimately I had to, I had to come to see some things about myself as to why I was trapped in, in certain beliefs that were just simply not true and why I had such yeah. a hard time letting go of them. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But, you know, what, what I've done is use these just absolutely fantastic circumstances of my life yeah. as a way. What I've tried to do in my writing is to help other people read about it. And and by the way, it's names, dates, places. None of this based on true events. It's, yeah. it's called raw and real because I don't pull yeah. any punches. Yeah. Nobody is spared the truth, not even myself. You know, my yeah. biggest warts and failings are put on yeah. public display, like the heroes of the Bible, you know. It's hard David. to do, isn't it, Wade? I, the <laughs> same. I put my warts and all stuff into my memoir as well, and um, yeah. I, it's very hard to do, very challenging. But the reason, the reason is people then are encouraged to reflect honestly yes. on their own life, yes. and it's so gratifying when readers, you know, the things that they pick up in the book that yep. really spoke to them are always surprising to me. Yes, it's always some random definitely. thing, but but that that says I did my work. You know, there's something yeah. in the story that really strikes Reaches a resonance with them. Yeah, and that's important. Yeah. As I've human many beings, people say we... they've stayed up all night reading the book. You know, because yeah, they just same. put it down. Yeah, yeah, and it's it. I because by the time for our listeners, by the time you actually release a book. You've read that book. You've edited that book so much that you just want to get it out there. So when someone writes to you and says, 
I've just stayed up all night reading your book. I couldn't put it down. You go, oh, oh, wow, okay, I've done okay. And finally, that that whole horrible process of writing about what's and all stuff, it, you get a bit of validation. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you on that, Wade. So you then um, see a time in your life where you are remarried and you go through another big change. Can you tell our listeners about that, Wade? Yeah, so I was living in California um, where I had moved back from Germany to work at the church headquarters and I just stayed there. Um, And the divorce was just final and I was hanging out with some female friends um, because I just liked female companionship and, you know, would go out to eat or do this or that, you know, not really dating any of them, but just, mm-hmm. you know, in fact, some Company. of the most fun times were then there were two or three of them together and yeah. I would treat them all out to all you can eat sushi or whatever, you know, yeah. just, just to, you know, stay in touch um, with that side of life versus me throwing myself into my workaholic tendencies and pursuing yeah. my career. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly I met this one young lady um where I just had this intense attraction. She was actually the best friend of one of my good friends that I'd had for, you know, well over a decade. And um, there was just something so compelling that I was just, you know, like a moth to the flame. And she was, she was um, actually invest. She was raised a Catholic. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, can you hear me? I'm getting a little signal that I've lost connection. I can still hear you clearly, Wade. Nice and clear. Hello, are you still there? Yes, I'm still here and I can still hear you nice and loud. But you can't hear me. So that's I can no... hear you now. Yeah, you can hear me? Yeah, you're no, still back. clear, Wade. You're still good. Okay. So um, I think um, I was just explaining that this, this young lady from the Midwest was... Um, Stole herself. your heart. Yeah, but she was herself searching, right? She was raised yeah. Catholic. And she was out in Los Angeles area and not finding any connection to the Catholic Church uh-huh. that she attended a few times. So she was researching something called the Baha'i Faith. Uh-huh. And I had I had seen the Baha'i World Center when I was in Israel on the City of David archaeological expedition, which was one of the highlights of my college time when I studied biblical archaeology oh, and God, yes. in this very prestigious prestigious archaeological dig in conjunction with Hebrew University. Wow. And I saw the you know, the Baha'i World Center on Mount Carmel when I came up to the port. Yeah. So I, and I also, I thought they were these hippies up in Alaska that had this center up this dirt road. So Uh I couldn't quite connect how these hippies from Alaska were, you know, had a center in Israel. Um, But she's, so she's investigating what they actually are. And I was very interested in spending time with her. So even though I wasn't really interested in the Baha'i faith per se, I figured it was yeah. just some, you know, non-biblical false religion. Uh-huh. Um, yet in order to spend time with her, because her other friends wouldn't go to these events with her, I raised my hand. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, we, we were both, you know, studying into that and we both became very much um, enamored with the the teachings of the Baha'i faith and, you know, yeah. to, to speak very openly, one might consider them somewhat naive, right? World uh-huh. peace, love, um, embracing all people. We are one, yes. one race, one yes. world. Yeah. Um, 
you know, they really did feel in some ways like like grown up hippies. But um, <laughs> it was it was then it was then, you know, when I got invited back to um, to Chennai to receive this Lifetime Achievement Award, I was praying yeah. in the middle of the night. And suddenly I, I just had this epiphany, which I'm not going to reveal because it's a centerpiece of my third book. Mm-hmm. But that's but good. That, that and but that answered some of the questions about the Hebrew scriptures and the prophecies and the, uh-huh. you know, why is the Baha'i faith in Israel? Why do we have a nation of Israel today? Why yes. is the world's focus on Israel today? Yes. What is, you know, how, how do we have this, you know, 4,000 and 2,000 year old set of books, the yes. Old and the New Testament, yes. that are all about this people and that gets back to the first book, the people of the sign, because the uh-huh. sign for us in the Worldwide Church of God was the seventh day Sabbath. We mm. practiced as Jews. We kept the Jewish holy days and the seventh day Sabbath because we didn't believe that Jesus changed those things. Uh-huh. We didn't believe that Jesus taught to keep Sunday. We didn't believe that Jesus taught to keep Christmas. He taught yeah. to keep Passover. Yeah. He, he taught us to keep Pentecost. He taught yeah. us to, to keep the Jewish fall holy days of Rosh Hashanah yeah. and Yom Kippur. Those are the days that he kept. And yeah. so the, suddenly I had this epiphany that drew it all together. And, and I had this concept of a God who exists outside of time and space. Yeah. Therefore, he can declare the end from the beginning. Call it whatever you want, prophecy or whatever. Yeah. But He's simply explaining an ancient language through the mouths of people who didn't even understand the concepts that we experience today, what it would be like in our day and age through these ancient writings that are, yeah, they are impossible to interpret and fully understand because that divine being limited his mode of expression through the mouths and the concepts that were available to the people 4,000 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but some of the answers just clicked, and some of those concepts and ideas are then discussed in the, the third, third book, which help explain how we as a species are evolving towards that idealistic vision yeah. of being truly one. Yeah, yeah. Wade, we have managed to talk right through until the last three minutes of the show, and I really wanted to talk to you. So you've got this wonderful trilogy of books, and you're also a publisher, and I wanted to quickly touch on your um, publishing history and then tell our listeners where they can uh, get your books. So tell me about your publishing house, which is called? Um, It's something or other publishing. Shink, yeah. And... Even as I heard you mention something in your introduction about giving a voice to those who don't have a voice. And that was part of the idea here is that every one of your listeners has a story, a book, whether it's a full book or whether it's something we could publish in one of our anthologies of stories. And we wanted to provide a means to make that possible for them. Our books are available all over the world, you know, Amazon.com, Barnes and Nobles here in the United States, whatever the major booksellers are in Australia. Yes. You know, anybody can go in and ask for one of our books. They won't see it in the store, um, You you know, but they will be able to have the bookstore order it for them. In fact, we, our books are also printed in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, I've just put up Wade's uh, email and uh, the website for your publishing company, but go on. Yeah. So um, 
it's really kind of a democratic model. We help our authors crowdsource their readers before we publish the book Yeah. through a unique vote, voting mechanism. My experience in the business world and with technology has enabled me to build this platform mm-hmm. that really does that efficiently and effectively Yeah. so that, uh, you know, we've had a string of number one rated hot new releases on Amazon. We've even had the number one mover and shaker on Amazon in Australia, which means yes. the hottest selling book in the country, new book. Um, for a brief period of time, you know, we're yeah. not like rolling in dough, but <laughs> um, we, we do know how to how to get the word out about books and authors, as, yeah. as do you. And I appreciate your time. You're giving me this time on your show. Oh, it's it's my pleasure, Wade. We're um, down to uh, time out. But before I go, I'm particularly grateful for you coming on Radio Tony today and telling us your uh, amazing story. I look forward to talking to you again soon. And just for our listeners quickly, that is something or other publishing. Uh, Wade Franson is who we've been speaking to today and his trilogy. Last word goes to Wade. Please, can you tell our listeners your trilogy of books, uh, their names, please? Uh, The first one is called The People of the Sign. And, uh, you know, you really need to start there. So the second one, the hardness of the heart and then the rod of iron. But the people of the sign, S-I-G-N. And um, I think you'll find it fascinating no matter whether you're into religion or not. Just just in terms of the questions that we all have about who are we and how do I sort through this, this life of mine. Yeah, yeah. Wade, thank you so much. Um, I've put your details in the chat box. I've also, if you jump onto RadioTony.com, you'll see all of Wade's details in uh, on my website. And Wade, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me on Radio Tony today. I look forward to talking to you again soon. And that's our time up for today, listeners. Thank you so much, Wade. And over to you, Rebel. Bye for now, everyone. Radio Tony, your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony, a platform for the unheard. Radio Tony, with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio 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 Tony. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Back next Thursday from 7pm Eastern Standard Time, live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Mama.